Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging field of data science. We bring the best minds in data, software engineering, machine learning and artificial intelligence. Now here are your hosts, Frank Lavinia and Andy Leonard. Hello and welcome back to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning and artificial intelligence. If you like to think of data as the new oil, then you can consider us Car Talk because we focus on where the rubber meets the virtual road. And with me, as always, on this epic road trip is everyone's favorite applied data scientist, uh, formerly known as a data philosopher, Andy Leonard. How you doing, Andy? <laughs> I'm doing well, Frank. How are you? <laughs> Speaking of road trips, um, I heard you were on a pretty big road trip recently. I did. I went to the Pass Summit 2017 out in Seattle. I had a great time catching up with old friends, made some new friends. And, um, you know, it's always a good good trip because uh, not only do you get to do that, which I think is the most important part, by the way, networking. Hanging out with people is the most valuable part, networking, that sort of thing. Right. And it's always great to meet people in person and talk to them face-to-face. I don't know what it is, but it's just... That, that human connection. Definitely, definitely so. And I was re-reminded of that as I went out there. Also got to to see some of the new shiny technology that, um, you know, that Microsoft is announcing. And I have to say, Frank, I'm impressed. Cool. So what did they announce? Well, they, you know, I'll, I'll start with kind of a focus, which I see as a shift from previous years. Um, you know, Microsoft has been focused on the cloud now for a good four or five years. And I think that's a good thing. I think they've done well. And the um, the shift this year, and it was subtle, seemed to be more towards hybrid, where you keep some of your data on-premises or on-prem, as I heard over and over again, or and, and at the same time, you keep some data in the cloud. Interesting. So, yeah, very. I thought a very interesting approach. And again, a subtle shift, but I think a shift towards a more realistic scenario for, for most enterprises out there using data. Um, for whatever reasons, people want to keep some of their data on premises. And, you know, I don't want to upset you, Frank, by bringing this up, but you had a non-positive experience with the cloud in your blog a few months ago. <laughs> this is <laughs> so, true. This is true. So, you know, this, I, I think experiences like that, um, pro- probably, you know, stuff far worse for enterprises has happened where something unfortunate happens in the cloud and all of the backups that you don't have to worry about uh, for whatever reason. Maybe it's bureaucracy like it was in your case. Maybe it's um, just, you know, some unfortunate series of events and failures and the data is just gone. And if you would had access to those backups that they're doing automatically for you, um, it could have been a whole different outcome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and as bad as my situation was with ClearDB and their ineptitude, um, which you can go back. We did a whole show on that. Um, I'm not a business. Like I make money on ads on YouTube ads, but it's not my primary source of income. 
Right. I didn't lose 10, 13 years of customer data. Right. Uh, if I had, I mean, I would be SOL. Yeah. And folks can look that up what that means. But, uh, <laughs> you know, got to keep that, got to keep that thing on uh, the clean rating on iTunes. Absolutely. Uh, but I mean, the key is, is that as bad as it was for me, it was not an extinction level event. If I were a business and I lost customer, um, records that far back, I would be blown out of the water. Yep. And I think that most of the time the cloud is more reliable than most people can afford local IT staff. I think, I think that's a fair statement. I agree. But I think there's this psychological element as well as a real practical element is that once you hand off your data, particularly when you have both, you know, AWS and Azure have kind of this marketplace of third parties, which is, was my case, Microsoft didn't lose my data. Right. It was ClearDB, right. which was a third party that sold kind of through that marketplace. Right. And I'm not the only one to have issues with that third party in particular. But I mean, I could totally see like the desire to, you know, adjust in case backup. If I had a just in case backup, it would have been a royal pain um, in the tuchus, but it would not have been kind of quite the um, disaster that it was. Right. And, um, you know, I spent, if you go to franksworld.com, I've, I've done a lot to rebuild. I switched templates, really changed the format of the site, uh, about focus more on data science. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, over uh, 13 years, you're, you know, the, the focus of something kind of changes over time. Sure. And um, I doubt people are looking for Silverlight to uh, upgrade information. Probably anymore. not, but it's the principle of the thing. And, and as the principle, time, yeah. I want to take this, this opportunity to commend you for rising from those ashes. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you know, the, one of the reasons I think we're, you know, we get along as well as we are. We're good friends. I consider us good friends. If you don't, that's okay. Don't say anything. No, I do. I do. It would be embarrassing if you don't. But <laughs> I'm kidding. But one of the reasons we are is because the work ethics align and, you know, a, a lot of other ethics. Uh, we share a lot, a lot in that area. And it just, you know, I was very impressed with how you responded to that. I, I got the reaction and I think it was a justified reaction, uh, not an overreaction. I, I have no idea uh, how I would have acted in that situation, probably not nearly as well as you did. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you you turned this into an opportunity. You pivoted, as they say uh, in, in business speak these days, and you did. You repurposed franksworld.com. Um, not only that, but you shared your experience. And I was one of the benefactors of your sharing. In fact, I moved AndyLeonard.blog um, just the past week uh, after the past summit. Um, I, I moved it to a more managed uh, provider. And one of the uh, things that I get out of this managed provider, of co- course, it's a faster site, which is nice for the for the people who've gone to AndyLeonard.blog uh, in the past. I apologize. It was terribly slow, painfully slow. It's better, much better now. But I also um, invested in uh, automatic backup, and I've got backups running, you know, once a week and dumping into my Dropbox. Uh, those are set up now, and they're running. Um, I'm rebuilding DILMSuite.com this week, 
and trying to get you know everything set up for that as well. It's a little more tricky because there's sales and stuff in there. So it's your experience, Frank, really helped. It helped me, and I'm sure it helped others. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that because you know it's um, with blogs. Even for technical people, and I obviously consider myself a technical person. Sure. Uh, I don't put a lot of thought into my blog. I mean, I put a lot of thought on my blog, but I don't put a lot of thought into the mechanics of running my blog. Right. I mean, you don't want to. <laughs> no, you don't want to because it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's meant to be. I mean, if I had a whole marketing department, obviously somebody would be in charge, but I I don't have time for that. Right. You right. know. Um. Which is great. We have um, uh, podcastwebsites.com who runs the podcast, uh, the website for the podcast. Right. And they've been awesome. They are awesome. Um, and we actually have an affiliate link that we'll put in the show notes. And we get a, you know, if you sign up with them, we get a little bump per month, uh, which is cool. I think we've made 20 bucks. Now. Awesome. I know, man. That's. Uh, you know, a latte for you and me, right? <laughs> and a happy meal for the kids. Uh, <laughs> champagne and caviar dreams, baby. That's it. That's uh, all. Cardone says, "Dream big." There you go. Um, so, I mean, I mean, the key is the key is that they're, they're you know, um, not only do they have a great affiliate program, but I mean, they make great customer service. And you know, when I when I when I post on social media that you know, basically, I lost all my data. Like the 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 lady who uh, works there was like, you know, checked my account just to make sure that we were okay, and she she messaged me like, "We can't find anything wrong with your account." And I'm like, "Oh no no, it wasn't you." <laughs> How you know? cool is that? Though? That is cool. I mean, that's customer service right there. So absolutely. Um, if those guys are listening, you you, you whatever you're paying her is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> they did a they did a fantastic job they they took care of us absolutely um but no, i mean i mean that's the thing like you know when you're running a podcast you, and that's why i went with podcast websites is and it's not a commercial i swear but there's a number of ways i was like you know first i think you and i set up a, a temporary wordpress site on uh one of the virtual servers you have somewhere and then yep. we were looking at it and we we're like oh, god this is another site to maintain right and as much as I love engineering, I have bigger fish to fry, things like neural networks and sure, uh, fun stuff like that. You know, rebooting servers and like messing with that is not something that's really on my radar. And I think there's a lot of people in that position uh, who, who kind of are technologists and they have a blog, but they don't necessarily want to belabor the basic points of, you know, running MySQL or, or whatever. I mean, fun fact, I once had, uh, there used to be, do you remember Community Server? Yes. So before Community Server, uh, a guy named Scott Watermastic, who was uh, at the time like a um, like an MVP, RD type in the early 2000s up in Jersey. Yeah. He wrote something called .text, and that was a blog engine. And it was open source and it was uh, free. So I was so inspired by that, I actually ran .text. Nice. And um, I ran dot text up until about uh, 2011. Wow. <laughs> Which, uh, to put it in perspective, when I when I when I told him, I met him. Yeah, he would. He's left the Microsoft kind of space, but uh, 
I saw him at Tech Ed in like 2006 or 2007. And I told him, I was like, hey, I'm still running .text. And I managed to get it. He said, uh, really? Wow. It's like, what are you going to do when you upgrade to ASP.NET.2? And uh, I'm like, well, I already did. And he goes, how'd you get it working? I was like, I got it working. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think he was amazed and alarmed at that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be said about, you know, services like that. I mean, things like podcast websites allow, allows us to do, to really focus on the work, which is, right. you know, we do the podcast. And and then you edit it almost all of the time and fix all of my mistakes and make me sound really really smart. I don't know how you do that, but that's that's an awesome filter you're applying. It's technology. That's it. Yeah. And <laughs> and then you know, but that's that's kind of the whole thing about the cloud, and that kind of you know brings me back to what you know what I, I enjoyed and I really appreciate about Microsoft's new approach, and not that it's new new, but they seem now to to more to better recognize and to focus a little bit more on these hybrid scenarios. And the whole idea behind that is let's just take the, you know, the IT part of this and, you know, we're either going to mask it or we're going to do it for you, uh, probably cheaper than you can afford to pay someone else to do it. And we're just going to free up some time, which is going to create opportunity for you to just do what you want to do. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, that's the great thing about the cloud is that, and I think that for a while, everyone went kind of gaga for, you know, cloud, everything, cloud, this cloud, that. Yeah. But I think there's a real value in it. If I have a business and I already, I already have sunk costs into my IT infrastructure. Absolutely. You know, and it's nice to be able to, instead of expanding my data center or updating my data center, I don't need to do that. I just have what I already have. And then I augment it with the cloud. Yeah. And I mean, I, I kind of do that now. I mean, I've been I've been playing around a lot with um, the data science virtual machine on Azure, which is pretty epic stuff, actually. Yeah. Um, and and, and um, you know, all I'm actually running the Ubuntu version, um, and I didn't have to mess with installing Linux on a on a real desktop or anything like that. I didn't have to set up um, like a dual boot scenario. I just click, 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 and now I have this machine up there, and I could scale it up depending on what my tolerance for cost is. You know, yeah. If I want sixty-four cores and you know twenty GPUs attached to it, I can do that. That's pretty cool. I might have to sell a kidney to make that happen, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I certainly could do it. Which is, you know, I mean, um, the buying that machine outright would be. Well, that'd be fun. I'm not going to lie, but it'd be a lot of money too. <laughs> well, that was one of the things that, um, you know, sitting in the peanut gallery and listening to the day one keynote at the past summit, a um, couple of comments. One of them uh, was, uh, it was actually Brent Ozar put this on Twitter and he wrote it as an overheard. So I'm not quoting Brent directly. I'm quoting something mm-hmm. he overheard. But what he, he tweeted was, what I'd like to hear is how much that costs. Right. Right. And, you know, and I know that there's a, there's a controversy about a number of services that have been announced that no one really knows exactly what the costs are going to be. Well, and I, I kind of get that, you know, it's, 
you know, they, they should they should wrap some costs around it. But that's that's been an old thing hanging on to Azure uh, forever because I'll go to clients and we'll talk about, you know, helping them migrate to the cloud. And there's all sorts of good architectural reasons to do it. And then, of course, like as clients are you know apt to do, they will um, you know, ask that question. How much is it going to cost? Right. And I wasn't ever able to give them a really good answer. And I realized after some investigation that there was a really good reason for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and it's the answer really is it depends. Right. Um, right. You know, what's an RU? Um, you know, how much does it how much of my computing consumes one RU? And that's a very nebulous thing. You have to kind of run it and see. And Microsoft, to their credit, has been very generous about, you know, creating trial periods and stuff like that where people can test stuff out. Um, they can do things like for Azure Cosmos DB, they can download the um, the emulator, basically, that sits on a desktop. And you can do all your development against that. You're not burning any RUs uh, when you, you know, when you hook into to Azure. But really interesting stuff. They had from a, a data uh, integration perspective. They had a load where they were showing 1.4 million rows per second being loaded into the cloud, which is very impressive. Um, the question, someone sitting next to me, I overheard this. Uh, they said, how big is that row? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if it's an integer and a bit, um, yeah. But if it's, you it's know. Not impressive. A, yeah, if it's, if it's all VAR cars and N cars and. Exactly. Or, you know, God forbid there's a, you know, there's some kind of blob in there, a binary large object. Um, Good luck with that. And it's not that that's, that doesn't take anything away from the demo. If it's, if they're loading an integer in a bit at 1.4 million a second, Frank, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, It just is. They were doing more than that, I'm sure. Um, Well, I mean, that's the challenge of, of kind of when you're in that role at Microsoft, ask me how I know. (laughs) <laughs> you have to craft demos that are easily digestible and relevant. And the person giving a demo is probably not the person setting the, I know for a fact, is not the person setting the price. Right. You know, so it, 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 it it's, it's tough in that role. I mean, the, the, everyone says, oh, it must have been such a, a dream role. And in a lot of ways it was. But if they have to pay you to show up, <laughs> there's a catch. And one of the catches was, you know, and and, and I know I, I would always read evals from various events that I did, and um, you know, some of the demos I did were, um, I remember one of the demos I gave. Um, I remember this feedback to this day was talking about uh, it was basically like how great IE ten was or something like that, and um, all the work that had gone into improving the um, uh, the HTML engine, right, uh, and the JavaScript engine which believe me needed a lot of work. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I remember showing like, um, uh, comparisons with Chrome and that ruffled, I guess Chrome was their favorite browser. So that ruffled some feathers and it was kind of like, you know, Oh, typical Microsoft ass, typical Microsoft ass. It's like right. a lot of times I was the, um, the stand in for, you know, m- abusing and yell and being angry at Microsoft. <laughs> right. That's not but, a good spot. Um, it's not a good spot. It's not that bad either. But I mean, it was, um, you know, it was, it's an interesting, 
being an evangelist for Microsoft is an interesting role because it, it, it is epically cool in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of like you have to make everybody happy. And right. that is <laughs> making anyone happy can be difficult, but making everyone happy uh, is orders of magnitude harder. And so, I mean, those demos, when they when they come up with those, and, and now whenever I see keynote demos, whether they're Microsoft or otherwise, I'm like, I always look at them with a grain of salt, you know. And I also feel really bad when they fail because I, I know what that's like. Right, right. It makes sense. I mean, but, you know, there were, there were a couple of really neat things there. Of course, being a business intelligence markup language guy, a BEMO guy, and, and I'm, I'm also a BEMO hero. I'm, I'm very proud to be part of that program. Well, you're was, my hero, Andy. What's that? You're my hero, Andy. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. <laughs> there was a, a demo uh, using BEMO and Azure Data Factory version 2 uh, on stage in the day one keynote, Scott Curry, the guy who invented Bimmel, he was up there doing the demo. And so Bimmel got an awful lot of attention uh, out of that, you know, out of that appearance. Um, the past summit selected speakers a little differently this year. One of the things they did that was different was they invited some people to speak on some topics. It wasn't a whole lot of people, but they invited Scott and I to present on Bimmel which was oh, cool. That was really cool. We had Bimmel in the title. There were probably a good solid eight or 10 other talks at the summit out of a couple of hundred that had Bimmel in them somewhere. It was just kind of stealth Bimmel. Um, stealth so. Bimmel. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. S Bimmel. Yes, that's it. Um, and I saw from, uh, if folks haven't seen the live stream, go back on the website or the podcast feed and you can kind of see uh, a couple of posts you did live from the floor of pass. One of them was I see Bimmel people. That was fun. And I was sad it got cut off when I was talking with Catherine because she's pretty awesome. Uh, I don't know what happened. There was a lot of people using cell phones there at the convention center. But great interview with um, with Catherine, Will Helmson, um, Ben Weissman, and Reeve Smith. And that's uh, the four of us were actually four of the 11 authors of the Bimmel book, which was also released finally for print and uh, electronically while we were there at the summit. It, the electronic version was available, the, the I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, and maybe it was Thursday that the print version became available. It's out there and you can download it. It's 485 pages of Bimmel goodness. And nice. um, not, a, not a small book. It took some time to write. It took, Frank, this was my third attempt at even getting the project started. Um, you know how these things go. And um, it was it was a great, great experience, I think. A lot of first-time authors. And, you know, it's great to see people with their name on a book. Um, they haven't yet, at the time of this recording, we're recording in early November 2017, they haven't yet shipped us the physical copies of the book, but they're on the way. And... Oh, cool. um, there's nothing that beats that. You've had this experience. There's nothing that beats that experience of holding a physical book in your hand, you know, that, that you helped write. Oh, yeah. Seeing your name in print, which is, I know it sounds silly, but <laughs> it, it is pretty awesome. I still have my Silverlight book on my uh, shelf. As and, well you uh, should. Yes. And um, my son, actually, my older son, he was learning about uh, books and stuff. Uh in school 
and he's like, I don't know, somehow the topic of like, well, how do you write a book or something like that? And I'm like, well, I've done it. And he was just completely amazed. And I was like, yeah, I showed him. And he was like, wow. It's like, and uh, the dedication for the book, because uh, I wrote the book about the same time we found out he was on his way. Nice. And uh, the dedication on the book is to him. And I don't think he knew that. He was just like blown away. Like, that is so cool. Wait, my name's mentioned in there. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is cool to have that because, you know, a Silverlight book uh, in 2017 doesn't have much value. Well. <laughs> that one has sentimental value, I suppose. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's an interesting idea. I mean, it's just it's just cool to have that. It's kind of like, you know, I wrote that and, yeah, the technical parts may not be valid, but, you know, you're mentioned in it. So Absolutely. And, you know, they so they did that demo. They had a couple of other neat demos. They had um, – they're starting to uh, – like, I guess the tech is out by some companies and is about to come out by others. But they had um, uh, Bob Ward and Connor Cunningham on stage uh, wearing Seattle Seahawks jerseys, uh, for which I forgive them. Um, nah. <laughs> <laughs> but they were running these uh, diskless servers. So I'm I'm not exactly sure what takes the place of the disc. I guess it's I guess it's these cards that you know run run really fast RAM or, or something like that. They're they're not they don't even have SSDs in them, Frank. So, I was going to say so this is not just SSDs. I mean these are diskless servers. Yeah, yeah, true diskless systems. Very interesting. It is, and it reminded me that um, our friend and former guest, earlier guest, uh, Kevin Hazard, wrote a blog post at devjourney.com, his blog, uh, years ago, where he kind of proposed this question that now I'm seeing others ask, but it was, you know, if we were designing databases today from the ground up, um, you know, you think about when the first data storage occurred and who knows <laughs> probably Tape. right after the first storage device was connected some data right. was stored on it but you know whatever that looked like back then and then all through that time right the 60s the 70s the 80s 90s the early 2000s um what if what if we were building an engine today to run with today's technology what would that look like right very intriguing article. Um, and he, he made a couple of suggestions about how things might be different. You know, Kevin's a smart guy. That show blew oh, yeah. my mind that we recorded with him, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, super smart. But they're, they posed a similar question on stage, Connor and, uh, and Bob did, you know, talking about these diskless database servers. So we're seeing yet another evolution of hardware that's going to drive uh, the next evolution of software and, you know, applications and whatever as a service, you know, WAS, WAS, I don't know what you'd call it, W-A-A-S. Um, there's a lot of that, you know, that that seems to be expanding and it's all good. I think it's all, all part of, you know, these are all pieces that are going to put together the puzzle for the future. Things like the hybrid approach and this amazingly fast hardware and these distributed computing systems. So interesting. I, and, and that's something also another former guest, uh, Rima Neme, when they were talking about designing 
what became Cosmos DB, they wanted to remove kind of all the past hangups. I don't want to say hangups, but architectural designs and ideas and create something that was truly kind of modern and web-based. Yeah. So I think that's, an, I, mean, I mean, that's exciting. I mean, I, that's where the real fun stuff, I mean, that's where the stuff for the next 10 years is going to come from. Absolutely. And of course, there was some uh, machine learning slash AI demonstrated. They, they were discussing how, um, you know, how basically you can now embed AI into applications. And there was a great demo on Power BI. Nice. Uh, and, uh, yep. Yep. Um, and speaking of, uh, of, of Rema Neme, she actually did the day two keynote at the summit. Oh, very cool. On Thursday morning, yeah, she spoke for, I guess it was around an hour. It was a fantastic talk. She ran out of time some. I felt bad for her because you and I as presenters know how that goes. And um, But she, she did a fantastic job, and she addressed a lot of that stuff early on that she had talked about when she talked with us a few months back. And cool. um, I mentioned, I actually tweeted during the summit when she was speaking that, you know, you can learn more about her. She shared some of her story about coming to the U.S. and selling door to door and stuff like that, which I, I enjoy those kinds of uh, those kinds of interviews because we get to learn so much more about the person, you know. Right. And she's an awesome person, I think, a mom and a, and a technologist. And incredibly I just, brilliant. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. Her story on how she got into data was just hilarious. It was. Go back and listen to it, but I'll 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 leave this kind of teaser. Like when I mouthed off to teachers, it never ended that well for me. <laughs> it didn't put you on a path to changing the world, Frank, huh? It did not. It did not. <laughs> That's so funny. But yeah, there was there's a lot of other info out there. I I searched prior to uh, starting this recording, and I couldn't find the keynotes online yet. Uh, they'll probably be online soon. Um, Microsoft, not Microsoft, the PASS organization. Uh, usually, it takes them about uh, I'd say a few weeks, maybe a month or two on the outside to really get all of the editing done. And you know, I understand that they get everything edited. They edit the uh, sessions themselves. If you didn't attend the past summit and something that I've said or Frank has said piqued your interest, you can actually purchase access to those videos of not just the, I think you can watch the keynotes for free and there's several sessions you can watch for free as well. But you can actually see all of the sessions uh, if you pay them. And I forget what the amounts are, but uh, pass.org, P-A-S-S dot O-R-G is the site to go to and learn more about that. And you can purchase this year. You can purchase last year's, I believe. Oh, very um, cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. They they do a um they record everything. They record the screencasts and they started recording um with cameras in the back of the room. So that's part of what's going to take, I think, more time is they're going to now edit um right. video footage of the speaker you know, actually speaking with the PowerPoint and with the audio, of course, of the speaker speaking. I was in one of those rooms where they did that. I don't know if they did it in every room or not, but I presented on uh, on a basic Bemel framework um, Friday afternoon. I was surprised at the, uh, at first off, I'm always surprised when people show up 
And I, I <laughs> you know, I warn the audience when they come into one of my talks that there are smart people talking in other rooms. Um, they may want to go check those out, but nope, they stayed. I did bribe them <laughs> with books. So, oh, well, there you go. I had some books on developing custom SSIS tasks. So, but That's it was cool. a, a great show. And, and you know, um, Frank, I know the past summit was, uh, you know, it was a big deal for me. And I'm glad we took some time to talk about it. But I understand you've got some big news. But before you say that, I, I wanted to I wanted to correct you just a little. Um, I did change my job title, but I'm not an applied data scientist. Oh, what are you? I am the chief data engineer at Ooh. Enterprise Data and Analytics. Now, I thought that was more applicable since I do more integration than I do science. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's pretty cool. So while you were out there, I have to ask, did you did you run into people who have heard of the show? Any perchance any fans of the show? I did. So I was standing outside the exhibition hall and Eugene walked up to me and stopped me and said, I just wanted to tell you, I've been listening to Data Driven since you guys started. I love it. It's an awesome show. And I stopped him right there. I told him, thanks, of course. <laughs> I broke out the camera. I went to Facebook and I said, would you mind saying this live? And we did another data point with Eugene while we were there. Ah, very cool. Very cool. I I, I watched that and um, I I was very happy to hear kind of like, it was cool to hear that feedback that we, we are unique because we don't focus so much on the hard data science. Right. Uh, because that can be very intimidating. Um, one of the funniest things I heard recently was on .NET Rocks. They had a, a panel discussion about data science and, and somehow it came up in one of the comments or whatever. It's like, I did not understand a single word the guy uh, – let me start that over. Uh, one of the hosts, I forget if it was Richard or Carl, had basically said, I had no idea exactly what he just said, which means he's definitely a data scientist. <laughs> uh, something to that effect. And I, and I think that that's a problem in data science right now. Agreed. Um, in that it can be very unapproachable for people who who aren't already involved in it. Yeah, and that's something that you and I were both very conscious of when we um, when we created the show is that we wanted to be approachable and, and and with the theory that you know if you know what ETL is and you 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 already are a data professional or a software engineer you already have the mental capacity to handle this sort of stuff. Agreed. Not the vocabulary necessarily, but that can be added. Sure, and you can learn more stats. Right. You know, exactly. and, and that's that's the thing about it. And Frank, this has happened now the last, I want to say for the last couple of months, everywhere I've been, um, when I've gone to present or gone to attend an event, someone has walked up to me and mentioned the podcast. That's cool. And we just hit a, a big milestone. Actually, it was a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. but we did hit, I'll let you say the number, how many downloads. Uh, as of this morning, we're at 26,000. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. I feel like I'm famous or something. <laughs> you are You are the Frank Lavinia. <laughs> <laughs> I've been called worst, I assure you. <laughs> but there's a, I think we ended up doing three data points while I was out there. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely go to the Facebook page. There's a link uh, nearby that'll take you to the Facebook page. 
and you can head over there and watch those short, they're relatively short recordings. Their data points, the audio is actually on the site where the podcast is, so you can just listen to the audio if you'd like. But they started as videos, and if you'd like to see the video, um, I'd encourage you to go to Facebook and check that out. The um, And if the, while you're at Facebook, if you like the page, you'll actually, we do those on Facebook Live. Yeah. So, and then what typically happens is, is that um, within somewhere between 20 minutes and 72 hours, um, I go through, I edit it, I clean it up, and then I post it to the uh, actual podcast feed. So if you're impatient and you want to see all the bloopers and the mistakes that we make, <laughs> you can actually um, you can actually watch the live feed. I think the mistakes are awesome. They they are particularly the uh, I got a lot of feedback on the Dunkin' Donuts one, which was a few months ago, <laughs> where you basically hear me arguing with my kit with my older son. That was perfect. That's classic. Like, just, just sit there, stand there, and be quiet. Like, and I probably shouldn't should have recorded that. Before I gave him the sugar at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> uh, parenting lesson learned. Right, right. It was, it was pretty funny. And then uh, there was another one where um, uh, was the Economist uh, had a had the cover story about data, and he, I had him hold the camera, and but he was holding the camera like weird, so he kept getting lower and lower and lower. So we were in the parking lot of like next to the Barnes and Noble. So I'm like there and I'm like basically on the ground by the end of the recording. <laughs> so I have some, I have some training to do for the next generation of uh, camera men out there. There you go. Well, but, let's uh, talk about your big news. So my big news is that I was um, on a podcast by uh, the data podcast by Rajiv Bahar. Um, and, um, it's uh it's another data science podcast and what's great about it is that it's also approachable um you know they don't drop a lot of kind of random you know acronyms and phrases that um for those just getting into data science um you know would be confused about um what's great is um he has a lot of interesting folks on the show some people have been on our show uh you uh, also have been on the show and yep. um I was on the show to talk about the Microsoft certification uh, process for become a data scientist. And uh, that was a fun talk. Um, and uh, basically covering kind of what it took to get to the point of, you know, being a certified data scientist. That's really cool. I bet that's a great show. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, I, I've heard it. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm biased, of course, but no. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Rajiv's got a good, uh, he's got a good system going on and it's, um, it's really cool. Um, uh, he has a number of episodes. I'm looking at his page on iTunes now. I think they have 28 episodes. Wow. So it's a, uh, it's a good show. I'd recommend subscribing to it. Same here. And your show was pretty awesome too. Well, thanks Frank. It was a lot of fun. He, I agree with you. He's a great interviewer. And um, he's got a good system going there. And I, I look for big things to happen. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the, the podcast renaissance is definitely upon us. Agreed. So um, I actually just finished up an audiobook. Yeah, which one? Uh, it was The Future of the Mind by Michio Kaku. What did you think of um, that? It was mind-blowing. Ah, I get it. 
that actually was an unintentional pun, but I'll I'll take credit for it just the same. Um, what was really interesting about it? So Michio Kako is a uh, physics professor at uh, City University of New York, uh, which is kind of like it's also known as CUNY, uh, which is also referred to as the uh, Harvard of the proletariat. Mm-hmm. Is another word I've heard for it. But um, brilliant guy. If you see his face, you've definitely seen him before because he's one of those uh, scientists that just he's really good at explaining really obscure concepts. Um, So he's been on a lot of specials and stuff like that. And this book was interesting because I've been doing a lot more more work with artificial intelligence and um, neural networks and um, the uh, cognitive toolkit uh, that Microsoft released to the CNTK. Yep. Uh, can't talk about some of that work just yet, but I've been spending some quality time with it. Um, so that got me thinking like, well, what is consciousness anyway? Like what is mind? Like, what does that mean exactly? And he, he, he covers, he covers a lot of ground, like everything from kind of like, um, you know, just basic kind of AI questions to Mm -hmm. what the future of virtual reality could be versus any covers animal, like what, what is the nature of consciousness is mm-hmm. uh, and not so much in the metaphysical sense, because consciousness is a hard thing to get your head around. Uh, no, no pun intended there either <laughs> because consciousness is, is um, a subjective experience by definition. Right. Uh, you know, it's cogito ergo sum, uh, which is, I think therefore I am. I, I can't say you think therefore you are, because I really don't know. Right can't really say with uh objective clarity if you exist right if that makes sense um but it's pretty cool and he goes into that and like you know what is the nature of consciousness can you measure consciousness can you but he he gets really trippy he talks about um even the possibility of art of 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 extraterrestrial intelligence Hmm. i mean it runs the gamut like he talks about mental illness kind of the biological origins of that um how uh the different genetics between chimpanzees and humans um you know can we can we augment our intelligence uh with genetic engineering spoiler alert not really um and you know but you know what would that mean and he talks about ray kurzweil talking about the singularity and you know the ability to maybe transfer your consciousness to a machine talks about the future of uh, extreme future of of kind of space travel yeah where you know you you basically transmit your consciousness from a machine to a robot running on a on a on a planet millions of year, of light years away wow um and you can kind of experience that through through kind of like um uh avatar type things yeah uh, it's, it's it's a cool book cuz it goes all over the place and it really makes you think more about what the nature of intelligence is and as i work more with ai systems i really kind of i'm not so much scared of say of a skynet situation where the thing becomes self-aware right and decides to get rid of people i think before the machines take over and kill us all they're going to take all our jobs away first i think that's going to be no but in all seriousness it's kind of it's interesting and it, it, it's a real good in-depth exploration of what intelligence is, what artificial intelligence can and can't do, at least within the next hundred years. Yeah. Um, although I think some of his timeframes, he wrote the book in 
probably 2013, 2014. So some things have changed. So some of the stuff that he's talking about that's, you know, some years away have kind of sort of happened. Wow. Um, so it's not entirely up to date. Uh, I look forward to what he's going to change in a future edition or a future book. Yeah. Uh, but the, the nice thing about this is that I'm an Audible subscriber. If you buy the Audible book, uh, it's something like, it's like $25. It's audible, audio books go on Audible. That's a lot. So I get my monthly free credit. And I mention that because if you're a listener of the show, you go over to, is it thedatadrivenbook.com? It, it is thedatadrivenbook.com. Audible's a sponsor and they'll hook you up with a, uh, a free listen or a free audiobook. And if you're going to spend your money, you're going to spend a, a, if you got a coupon for a free audiobook, get the $25 one. Don't waste it on a $5 one. I completely agree. Yeah, I I was out uh, just the other day, actually it was yesterday, downloading a book you had recommended to me, another audio book. And I had uh, three credits. I'm signed up for like the platinum or whatever. I get a couple credits every month. I totally need to month. do that. Oh, well, you know, I was buying the three credits after I used the one free, mm-hmm. you know. And I figured, well, I can save myself. Some months I only need one more credit. It's rare, but some months I only need one more. But yeah, when you do that, I mean, if you, you know, if you do the math, right, it's like 11 or $12 a credit if you buy them three at a time. And so don't buy a book if it's, you know, if it's more than that, use a credit. If it's less than that, just pay for it. <laughs> so, right, right. And it's good old fashioned arbitrage right there. That's it. That we'll see. There we go. <laughs> Data science. <laughs> We've come full circle, brother. We totally have. Um, so we have a couple of interesting interviews lined up. We've already recorded a show. Um, and if you want to find out about that, go to join our mailing list. Folks on our mailing list, um, we call them data drivers. Um, and if you go there, you'll find out ahead of time who's our, who's the guest. And um, also have an interesting interview lined up for next week. So we'll probably be on the show in two weeks. Uh, as a former colleague of mine attended a data science boot camp at Stanford University. Nice. So I, I, I she's kind of a noob uh, to data science. Okay. So I want to get her kind of impression. One, because it's Stanford and Stanford's kind of a big deal in the data science world. Sure. Um, and two, uh, it'll be interesting to see what one of those boot camps is like. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to her on messenger and she was saying like, she said the event was great, but she just feels like there's a lot for her to get her head around. That's fair. And I thought, you know, so I think and throughout more of the conversation, she was kind of, I'm like, I told her that's completely normal. <laughs> <laughs> and then like one day she'll be driving or, you know, walking down the street and then like, it'll all kind of like fall into place. That's good advice, Frank. Yeah. Yeah, I spend a lot of quality time thinking on the Beltway. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. It's great because five miles an hour, you know. (laughs) I'm really sorry about that, Frank. (laughs) That's all right. It's all right. I moved to D.C. knowing full well what I was in for. So. (laughs) I know. I recall talking to you about that. 
have a go. There's been a guest that we have been trying to get on the show since the beginning. He was one of the first people we thought about. And for various reasons, we haven't been able to schedule him. Well, I don't know if I've talked to you about all of this. I don't, I don't, of course, we don't mention guests until, unless you're a data driver, you don't know ahead of time. But this particular person is a data scientist. They've been doing it for a while. And uh, all of the obstacles that were kind of in our way have been mostly cleared. So a couple more oh, emails. Cool. I think we'll have everything set up and we will hopefully get that show not only recorded, but aired by the end of the year. Oh, awesome. And for if you feel bad at home and you're listening, I have no idea who he's talking about right now. So <laughs> even I'm in the dark. I'll have to sign up on that list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's bad. You have to sign up to your own mailing list to figure out what's I'm going kidding. on. Um, I, I really don't know. This, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding in a sense that about the mailing list, but I really don't know exactly who you're talking about right now. I have some theories, but um one of the one of the cool things I wanted to get across was, you know, there's this phenomenon called pod fade, which is podcasts will start off strong and then kind of fade. Right. Um, the numbers, if you look at it in terms of traffic, that's not really happened. But if you look at like our frequency of publishing, uh, it has dropped off because I was doing a daily thing for a while. When I got a real day job, so to speak, <laughs> uh, I had to kind of. Um, readjust my schedule. I do want to do the data science daily thing again. That that is still on my radar. Uh but there's some some logistical things I want to work out before I start that up. Uh and we 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 haven't been recording as many data points either, but that's just a function of, you know, you've been traveling, I've been traveling, I've been uh on the road, you've been on the road and and stuff like that. So well, plus it wasn't conference season. Now it's conference season. So yeah. there's a lot more interesting things going on. There, there are a bunch more interesting things happening. And to be fair, you and I both got incredibly busy at the end of the summer. Right. And, right. you know, and people don't realize they don't do this. The, this is a lot of time. It takes quite a bit of time. And I'll give kudos to Frank. Frank does most of the work. He's an excellent editor. And I've edited some shows. You may have noticed some differences in the style of some of the shows, especially around the editing. Um, the stuff you didn't like was me. Um, <laughs> the stuff that worked well, that was Frank, because you've done this for, gosh, what, a half a decade or something. Something like that. And, and one of the things that I really credit with my ability, and this sounds, that sounds really arrogant, but the, <laughs> it's not. the more you do something, the better you get at it. Right? Sure. That's also a fundamental thing in neural networks. Um, the more data you're exposed to, the better you get at it. And the, one of the things that I did when I was at Microsoft was I, I did have a daily kind of YouTube show, which was focused on kind of the DC startup tech scene. And for various number of reasons, I won't bore people with, there was, a, I had intermittent support from my leadership on, on that idea. And so I made sure I could do it within a very short period of time. That's why it was on, the show was only a minute long, right? A minute or two right. minutes long. So I was able to kind of produce a, what I thought was a quality show, video and all, um, you know, within about 10, 15, 20 minutes at most. Hmm. And if you do that daily for a couple of months, you get good at it. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. 
and you know the tools and the tools I'm using are, you know, all Adobe tools because I'm an Adobe fanboy. And um, <laughs> like, you know, the keyboard shortcuts, you know how to work the system and you do it fast and you know how to like produce something quickly right. of good quality, not perfect quality, just good enough. But, you know, I'm not Martin Scorsese. This isn't, um, you know, uh, a feature length film costing hundreds of millions of dollars. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's different. You know, you, you, you can set the expectation of, of, of how hard you want to edit. Um, and you, you've experienced this. You can edit something till, you know, whether it's audio or books, you can edit something till you're blue in the face. And it's, you know, the, 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 you get diminishing returns in terms of how much you put into it. So you have to know when to say good is, this is good enough. Right. And that's something that when you do something daily for a couple of months, you, <laughs> you you learn that decision boundary uh by trial and error i i hear that i was still i'm still a noob i i cannot snatch the pebble from your hand frank <laughs> patience grasshopper patience <laughs> so we can so translate that... that for millennials uh frank, oh. frank was saying patience padawan patience padawan yes, yes. there you go Sorry. or what do they call a uh what was Harry Potter like when he was training to be a wizard? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't remember. What's the word for that? If you if you know the word for that, leave a comment on the on the <laughs> website because uh, I don't know. It's not Muggle because Muggle is people who are not wizards. Yeah, I can't but um, remember. Showing my ignorance of Harry Potter. Same uh, here. Um. But with that, uh, I think it's uh, time to say goodbye and we'll see you next week and let the British lady take it over. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. Don't just listen, become a data driver by going to datadriven.tv to sign up to join the community, access to special events, tips and tricks, and more. Sign up today at datadriven.tv.